recording. <laughs> I always hate that, but it says that now. Not that <laughs> we don't know it, but it's just a weird. All right, um, Mother, would you give us an opening prayer? Yeah. Aren't you Heavenly Father? We're so grateful to meet here this evening together as a group studying um, Isaiah decoded book. We ask you to please bless us with um, new insights and that we'll be able to discover the things that are there for us and that we'll have thy spirit to help us as we um, study this book and and please help us to apply the book to our lives. And these blessings we pray for in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So chapter nine, it, it's been kind of a wild ride. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, a very fast way to approach Isaiah Dakota doing one chapter a week. Kind of hard to keep up, but I, I was kind of uh, approaching chapter nine, kind of like I, I did last week as well, where, okay, what can Avraham really sum up or, or, or teach more about the latter in this, this final chapter that's just kind of uh, here at the end? But there's so much here. Me and my mom were just going through it um, and, and just reading and, and commenting on them. Like all of these different little tie-ins uh, just here at the end. It was just kind of on, I'm on overload. I'm still trying to process it all. So it'll be fun to, to talk through it. But um, what type of things did uh, did you take away from, from this chapter? What things do you still have questions about? Um, where where would you like to, to take the conversation to, tonight? One thing that I, I found very interesting at the towards the beginning of the chapter was that, like on page 322 and 323, that he goes through and talks about Isaiah's literary style based upon the surrounding communities. So he talked about the literary style that he implemented from the Egyptians. He talked about the literary style of um, the, the Ugarites and then the Mesopotamian themes that, that are written in there. And I don't know, I just like the evidences for the Book of Mormon, you know, like when you start looking at all of these different poetic styles and, and all of the intricacies, it just solidifies the testimony that this is an inspired work. There's no way that one man could um, have, have done this on his own and get, um, here we have lots of people kind of discrediting Isaiah, like, oh, there's no way one man could have wrote this kind of thing. But um, the, the fact that he's got all of this intertwined so precisely for the end times is just another testimony to me that, of course, he ascended, ascended the ladder, seen what he did, and, and started writing about it. I, I love the, those couple pages there with with all that literary even though I might not understand all of the literary stuff yet but um, just the complexities of the writing I found that very interesting and, and kind of going along that vein on the bottom of 324 um, he says that 
there's a, a, a difference between Isaiah's early oracles, which were spoken, and his later discourses, which were written, um, by the fact that later in his life, he ascended to the seraph level and had the vision of the end from the beginning. He then retired as a speaking prophet, but continued to write. And so I, my question that I have written here is, do we see other prophets retiring from their, you know, kind of speaking level and and then retiring once they've seen the comic vision cosmic vision and and then writing and, and prophesying and and helping the end time people um with with their scenario kind of thing do we see that pattern with other prophets or is that uh, just isaiah well john for example that's exactly what he did mm -hmm. But and it was for him to write. It was left for him to write the end part there. But but he certainly went through that and was writing there. Mm -hmm. Well, don't you think all the prophets like Nephi attained that seraph level? I th I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. And so is there marked differences, even though it might not be like retiring as we kind of call it, but um, that there's a marked difference from when they, before they see the, the vision, uh, when they ascend or, and, and their writings afterwards. Uh, it seems like they, they do tend to, to go into that more lengthy prophesying uh, role there which I, I just find interesting. I've just never thought about it. I've never thought to kind of dissect prophets and, and split them into, you know, and, and say, oh, this is when they ascended the ladder and here's their writings before and here's their writings after and, and what the difference is there. Now, going back through the Book of Mormon, I'm going to be diagramming it all out and everything. It's going to be fun. <laughs> but who has time for all of this, right? <laughs> so the more time speeds up the the more learning that happens i find that it's just daunting always trying to, to keep up with the studies the more i learn the more i want to learn the more i don't know etc but but yeah like you said that like nephi and all of those uh, i mean the scriptures are just full of kind of how to's of of ascending the ladder how to to see god how to uh, qualify for those blessings, how to pull down power from heaven. And sometimes we just look at the, the scriptures as, as good stories, good morals to, to the story, but um, not as applicable as, as we can really make them. Speaking, Cameron, have you said a how to see? What did you say? How to see God or how to... I like the very, then the, the italics that were at the beginning I had marked. It says, man-made traditions prevent us from ascending to heaven. Pure religion aids in our entering into God's presence. And I, I like that quote. I mean, I really start it because there was a, there was a talk on, I posted it, the group by Marvin J. Aston about pure religion, what pure mm -hmm. religion is. And so yeah. that, was, that was interesting. That really stood out to me that he stated it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
because we hear that phrase a lot, but yet sometimes it uh, isn't portrayed in in this kind of a light, you know, like pure religion, yeah. But but no, pure religion. When we seek to love others unconditionally, that's when God opens the heavens to us and mm-hmm. invites us into His presence, so that we can get the power to to greater uh, minister to to those around us. I, <laughs> It's always, uh, I mean, not always, but remember, it's blowing my mind recently because I've always misconstrued that or or put less significance to that phrase of pure religion. Cameron, when we um, worked at the Bishop's Storehouse, mm-hmm. um, they gave us a book called Pure Religion, and it was about the welfare system and uh, of the church and about helping those in need and so when I think of purely religion I think about the helping others uh, I think that's what and as we see on the ladder that really is what ascends is because we're helping others mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of the key to the whole thing service and helping others yes um I can't remember exactly which page it's on. It's toward the end, but it it reiterates that that um, the higher law or the the whole crux of the matter is is love, complete love for for our neighbors and and loving God mm-hmm. in that way. Anyway, it's just yeah, expand. I underlined that. I don't know if I can find it. <laughs> I thought this was interesting on page 327, um, right before that figure, it says that that Isaiah makes the point that God's blessings flow to his people waiting through tribulations. He thus lets us know that tribulations have a purpose. They are not an end in themselves. And prior to that, on 323, it talked about um, this threefold structure right in the middle of the page of national, universal, and individual. And, and I thought, oh, our tribulations come on three different levels. And I had never put that together before. So we have national tribulations, we have universal tribulations, and then we have individual tribulations to, to wade through. Um, we know like our universal tribulations are, are things that the whole earth is going through because of the, the wickedness of, of the whole. Yet there are certain things that are part of our national covenant here in, in the promised land that we're suffering as a people that the rest of the world might not be suffering it like we are, but we have national tribulations to go through because of uh, the breaking of those national covenants. And then individual, whether it be our own or generational, uh, tribulations that we're experiencing because of uh, those those individual covenants, uh, covenants like that, that we make in the temple at baptism uh, with our, our ordinances, those type of covenants we're also uh, experiencing the tribulations from. And so when all of those come to a head here in the last days, we're experiencing tribulations from from all sides and how important it is that we apply the the doctrines and and principles from the book of Isaiah and rise 
on the ladder so that we can help people through all kinds of tribulations, not just individual tribulations or national ones, but, but all three of them. I, I'd never put them into to different categories before. I found that very interesting. I wrote down on page 327, I wrote, the tribulations are a blessing. I never thought of it that way before, but I've learned that through this book and stuff, they really are, especially these tribulations that we're going to be going through that are so hard uh, just before Christ comes. And without them, we would lose a lot of people because it's that last little bit of the tribulations where um, a lot of the Jacob um, Israel ladder is going to ascend because of their helping their neighbor and defending and everything. And so there's going to be a huge ascent just before Christ comes, which will save them from being burned and without those tribulations that wouldn't occur so i mean it's really a big blessing that we have these final tribulations like that set out to be yeah for sure it's interesting to go back and, and look through the different prophets um and some of their prayers for tribulation specifically whether they're praying for deliverance or whether they're expressing gratitude for the Lord carrying them through the tribulations kind of a thing. Um, one that comes to mind right off the top is Nephi that um, I'm going to misquote it really bad, but um, it's kind of in, in like the Psalm of Nephi where he says like my, my tears water, my, my pillow by night kind of thing that he asked the Lord to, to remove his, um, uh, stumbling blocks and and to hedge up the way about his his enemies kind of a thing um, that the whole prayer is very much a son servant level uh, type prayer uh, on behalf of of himself and his people and and things uh, I'm just starting to to see these prophets in a whole new light you know they describe it as best they can but when we haven't uh, necessarily ascended to their level yet uh, some of the, the principles and concepts are a little bit fuzzy for us, um, but like it talked about here, I can't even remember, but when it talks about the different age groups, right? Um, oh, yeah, that was a fun section. Let's see, so it starts on 329. Yeah. Yeah, so it talks about the four physical phases. So there's childhood, there's adolescence, adulthood, and then mature age. And... Um, you know, sometimes when we're reading the words of prophets that are on the the mature age level, and and we're uh, either in childhood or adolescence, sometimes their concepts are like, "Oh, Dad," kind of thing. Like <laughs> you're just so out of tune with things. <laughs> but yet, when we start ascending to those uh, levels and uh, learning and, and growing more, we start to see what those prophets were, were really saying and the wisdom behind uh, their counsel and teachings and, um, and prophecies. I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like we've always known this stuff, but when you, you 
pull it out into to simple models like this, like like figure 136, um, that it, it just makes so much sense. Of course, um, those those four uh, levels of, of development equal the those levels on the ladder, etc. It just makes so much sense. I love that. Um, what were some of those great quotes that we were looking at through there? I think it was on 330, I remember right. Oh yes, the Zion Jerusalem level. I love the way that he described it there. So the Zion Jerusalem resembles adolescence because it is the soul's first awakening to an awareness of its power to act independent of others. And haven't we seen that throughout 2020, 2021? A great awakening to an awareness of the power to act independent of others to take responsibility for our own actions and decisions, and that learning may be largely by trial and error as we begin to experiment with good and evil. And I don't know, I just see that all over the, the board as um, the, the main Zion Jerusalem level of the church is, is starting to wake up and start beginning by trial and error, learning how to, to navigate the, these end times and, and all of the prophecies, etc. Um, I, it, that just resonates so much right there. And then talking about the son's servants who take independence to the next level by getting married, raising children of their own, and uh, have an added dimension of service as they minister unselfishly. Um, and then the seraphs and saviors are like those of advanced age whose wealth and experience serve the younger generation that appeals to them for help. Their wisdom and counsel lend balance and stability to the extended family and their inheritance they leave behind forms an assurance of future security. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just makes so much sense. Uh, he just describes it so well there. I don't even know what to add, but um, I, I love this, this model of our phases of development being uh, those, those levels on the ladder there. Sometimes we have growing pains and awkward stages and um, changes in our in our vital functions. Yet, um, it's all part of of the process. We're going to to have those things as our descents before we can ascend to to higher levels. I like how he introduced it a couple pages before because it was one of the little things that he'd highlighted. Um, it says, like the prodigal son, God's people come to themselves. It says he, grow, he grows to maturity and learns who he is. At that point, he returns home and is welcomed back and is appointed to a high office. So I, when I learned um, a couple of years ago that, you know, we always talk about perfection, but it means to be whole and complete, but it also means to be mature so that we've grown up to be adults. And I remember reading a little, I never finished a little tiny psychology book and I might post it to group, but it's called How to Be an Adult. And it's about spirituality and emotionality and how to grow up and take responsibility, you know? And so that's kind of what we're, we're learning to do is to learn to take responsible for ourselves and for others. You know, if we're gonna have worlds of our own at some point, we have to be accountable and responsible and we can't, you know, we have to, yeah, 
you have to work with others, play nice with others. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. And look how that is affecting our, our upcoming generations. You know, they're going to be some of the ones that, that welcome in the Savior and, and usher that in. And yet Satan is really attacking them in, in that specific thing that he's they're kind of like the the lost boys of Peter Pan, right? I mean, they just go to Never Never Land. They're never going to grow up. They they don't have to take responsibility for anything, and yet that's a huge part of of ascending the ladder and and just growing in mortality in and of itself, mm-hmm. growing up, uh, uh, becoming an adult, and uh, even more so, actually taking on other dependents that that are dependent mm-hmm. on you for, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And society's changing so much, it's taking away a lot of that responsibility, or you don't have to take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, people are wait, waiting to have, ch- I mean, I think the age is getting older where people get married and have children, except maybe in our church, people get married younger, but mm-hmm. a lot of people wait till they're 30 something to get 34, maybe even late 30s to get married for the first time and have children, which is yeah. pretty late. And then now with the way the economy's going, a lot of people don't want to work everywhere. I have a year ago, two years ago, everybody's employed. Now everybody's asking for, you know, people to come work and nobody wants to work. Yeah. I mean, there's it's, plenty of people, but nobody uh-huh. wants to work. It's the so yeah, it's just taking away people's responsibility, accountability, and just, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting where we are in history. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so crazy, but yeah. I I say every morning to myself, it's so fun to live in the last days because you never know what you're going to get day by day. (laughs) Yeah, so crazy. Um, One thing that I have highlighted here, let's see, is on page 328, um, this phrase just right in the middle of the page before the end of the paragraph, it says um, that they will come face to face with the destroyer. Now, kind of leading up to that, we're talking about um, some of these um, awful things that that are happening and um, the that we merit our our tribulations that are coming to us, kind of thing. Um, that dysfunctions become so deep rooted that the rising generation have no hope of healing, etc., and that. Um, that they will even torture and murder the, the messengers of, of Jehovah. They will come face to face with the destroyer. Um, and the last days of their lives will be their worst case scenario. And I found that very interesting when it talks about uh, destroyer. Uh, a lot of times you can say destroying angel and, and mirror it right back to the exodus of Egypt, right? And so, I mean, we see all things playing out. We're, we're going to have a new exodus that, that you know, rivals the, the exodus of Egypt. It's going to be much bigger. Uh, the, the scope is, is much grander. So what is the, the Passover that will happen with this new exodus? If the pattern is, is the same with God playing out the plagues and, and everything like Pharaoh uh, had, what is the blood on the doorpost for our generation? what can we do to um, have the destroying angel pass over us as we come face to face with the destroyer as it says here 
wasn't that our promise in the word of wisdom about, I haven't read the word of wisdom to actual wording of it, but isn't there something about that that will have health and I can't remember, but I thought there's something about a destroying angel will pass over us. Maybe I'm not sure something mm -hmm. yeah. in the word of wisdom. I'd have to look it up. That's like the, the very last promise that's, that's there. It enumerates a few others, but one of them is that, um, that the destroying angel will pass over. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, I don't know, it's just very interesting to, to see how that all plays out as we come face to face with the Antichrist as uh, we, um, we see others around us receiving the, the mark of the beast. What is the mark on our doorpost or our forehead that, that helps it to, to pass over? The word of wisdom is crucial in playing into that. Um, but we need to, to have the, the reverse of the mark of the beast. We need to, to have the Lord's name written in our foreheads kind of thing. Um, anyway, it, <laughs> how to even describe it or, or say what it's uh, actually going to, to be and feel like is, is interesting. But um, we're going to, to live that out. And, and that's going to be a, a crazy time. But but preparing other people for that as well is is quite a daunting task, and that's why, you know, we're reading this book and and seeing how we can become uh, sons and servants and seraphs on on these levels, in order to to help those that that merit justice uh, be physically delivered from from those um, persecutions and tribulations. Um, what else? There is so much in this chapter. I loved the uh, Great Pyramid of Giza. I've never really studied the, the pyramids at all. I'm, you know, sure they're, they're great monuments and, and everything, but really looking at the pattern that um, Abraham, Jacob, uh, Jesus, Mary Magdalene, all of these people always go to Egypt. And uh, it just makes sense that, oh, the Egyptians have a, a lot of truth, even in their architecture that has been preserved all these years. Um, that figure 139 and, and all of the paragraphs uh, surrounding it, talking about how the Pyramid of Giza is set up on this, um, this ladder to heaven. You have the Chamber of Chaos, which is an, an inverted room down there with a a chasm or fissure or whatever you call it, um, down to perdition. But um, as you uh, go above the ground level up to the queen's chamber, uh, as you ascend even further, uh, making your way up to the king's chamber, that there's uh, a huge insurmountable step to, uh, to, to overcome in order to, to keep ascending. Uh, how that mirrors our, our ascent. Um, there's no doubt in my mind after reading that and, and looking it up and, and seeing pictures of um, those things on online that, holy cow, there's a lot of truth here. Uh, the Pyramid at Giza was, was definitely divinely inspired or at least patterned after a, a divinely inspired model. Um, they must have had um, that knowledge, that priesthood, those ordinances in order to um, build this in that way. I found that very interesting. I think we can find truth in lots of different cultures because they all stem from, 
from truth in, in one way or another. Let's see, this one was uh, kind of a eye opener or a smack in the face, whatever you want to say, but on page 342, um, it's just kind of underneath that figure, that whole paragraph there, but uh, kind of in the middle, it says, in that case, could a similar situation occur as happened in the past? Could God's people today reject the higher law by turning popular religion into another golden calf? Could one who comes in the name of the Lord again be put to death? And that's a question I've been asking myself for a long time is, am I going to recognize the Savior when he comes again? And my answer is like, always, oh, of course. Like, I mean, I'm of his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There's no way I could not recognize him when he comes. But if we know anything to hold true to the pattern, it's that when he comes, many in his own church don't recognize him. And, and I think that that's, that's something that we have to be aware of, that some of our traditions and um, complexities of our pop culture or our, our popular religion culture can actually cloud our vision of, of him when he comes. Um, so kind of extending out that, that question, what kind of things do we have in our popular church culture, especially here in the Intermountain West, that... Um, might blind us from from recognizing the savior when he comes what might be our golden calf i think one of our golden calves is we worship position we worship positions um and i liked where he said, um, with God, repenting of wrongs count more than espousing a specific doctrine. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I like yeah. Let's see, sorry, it's, it's cutting out <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I like that. I see that. Do you know what page that's on? Sorry, what was that? Uh -huh. It's um, on page 271. With God, repenting of wrongs counts more than espousing a specific doctrine. So I think I think the most important thing is that we repent and have our heart right with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we have lots of traditions that, that sometimes can, can cloud even the best of saints, you know, that we sometimes get, get mired in, in some of those things. But uh, as we repent and, and open our eyes to do better, uh, that's where God is so quick to forgive. And I think a, a great example um, 
along that line is like Joseph Smith. I mean, there's, there's certain times when his closest friends uh, kind of betrayed him. And, uh, but if they could humble themselves enough to come back and just ask for forgiveness, he's like, Oh, oh of course. And, and uh, got him busy uh, right back at, at work kind of thing. Um, there was no downtime. Joseph Smith was very quick to forgive. And um, I think that that's a pattern for our, our heavenly father as well. Uh, as soon as we can can recognize and and repent of uh, some of our our traditions that, that we're kind of talking about that um i think some of it's the culture of the church too i just got a new book by fiona and terrell givens and he talks about and i have just a couple pages in but he talks about these kinds of calvinist type ideas in the latter-day saint culture he said we become confused and have traditions that aren't correct because we've let some of that Calvinistic, and I can't remember what the other religion was, they, we've allowed it to creep into our thinking. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So, because he, he starts the book kind of with a lot of paradoxes, you know, like if Jesus healed, why do we feel so broken all the time? He has all these questions mm -hmm. opposites. And it says, if, if the gospel is this, then why do we feel this way? So he's trying to make a case that, our thinking is, um, we need to rethink the subtitles, rethinking sin, salvation, and everything in between. So mm -hmm. I thought it sounded good because I just thought it's maybe, you know, we are stuck in a certain thought pattern that's not correct. And I thought yeah. it might open my eyes to some of those patterns. Yeah, exactly. So have we in our recent church history, so say like the last 20 years, have the, the our church leaders come out against certain traditions of men, um, specifically in our, our church worship, in our Sunday services, or, or anything like that? Can you think back to any um, official letters from, from the church that have said, hey, let's stop doing this, or, or maybe we should do something a different way? Uh, a few came to mind, but I wanted to see what, what y'all said. And carrying, uh, mm -hmm. carrying scriptures to meetings mm -hmm. was yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, one that I remember when I was uh, a youth, because it, I was passing the sacrament at the time, was that we shouldn't have so much pomp and circumstance with our uh, administration of the sacrament. You know, it's not required that the deacons form in a line and uh, uh, pack the the tray with both hands or, uh, you know, there's lots of different things that sometimes, um, you know, whoever uh, imposed it, uh, but it wasn't doctrine that way, you know, that, that from ward to ward, the sacrament started becoming very different. Um, and so they came out with that official letter to, to simplify, just pass oh, the sacrament. You know, it's because you were, yeah, you were a deacon, because I, I never remember that. But I do remember reading a blog where they're talking about passing the sacrament and they said, this is where men's traditions that the young men had to line up by height, you know, the shortest in front. And, the, and that's, that's not important. It's like, yeah. but I guess some wards thought that was important to do. Mm -hmm. And I thought, interesting. I can't remember some of the other ones, but, mm -hmm. um, but I remember that one because I thought it was interesting because I watched stars to see if they did and they didn't because we have some really mm -hmm. short ones and really tall ones and they just lined up. Uh -huh. Not didn't matter. 
Yeah, exactly. I thought it was interesting. But yeah, um, another one that that came to mind was uh, when they came out, uh, kind of reprimanding how we've uh, carried out our mission farewells and homecomings. You know, quit making it all about the the missionary or the family. Like, don't have the 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 whole program be the family. All of the kids doing this, the the songs and the the parents giving the prayers and this and that and everything. It's just it's just a regular talk, and and don't create a ward family feast afterward. Don't put pressure on on families and missionaries and all this. Like, let's disband with all of that. And how soon we've kind of return to to that same thing in, in many of our wards and uh but it, it's just traditions different things that oh well this would be a cool idea and then it gets perpetuated and, and blown out of proportion and before you know it there's a lot of pressure to, to send your kid on a mission you have to provide a ward dinner and you have to send out invitations like it's a wedding announcement you have to do all i mean it just gets massive and and some of these families can't afford it and uh, it, it just sets uh, kind of like Janet was saying. We we worship the 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 title or the the office rather than what's actually happening. You know, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the kids. And anyway, there, there's just a lot there too. Uh, most recently, have we noticed that uh, they changed all of the paintings in in the foyers of our our chapels and everything? That everything is taken out except for pictures of Christ. Um, we don't have missionary plaques and stuff anymore. We don't have uh, just paintings of, of scriptural stories unless they're directly from, from the Savior himself. I thought that was a very interesting change as we have many, you know, beloved murals in, in some of our buildings. Uh, ours didn't have it, but uh, one of the, the buildings in our stake, a lot of people kind of got got like hurt feelings over it. Like you took out our, our <laughs> best mural because it, it didn't depict the savior in it kind of thing. And I don't know, it was just, it's just interesting how all of that plays out. But um, we have lots of traditions in the church and uh, sometimes we can kind of get weighed down by those traditions. And uh, kind of the warning that it talks about here is that we can actually set those up as, as golden calves and, and not recognize the savior when he comes again. I mean, you know, is a painting really going to do that? No, but with that mindset, with with some of those traditions, we there's other things involved that that might cloud us. Um, and just like you talked about, El, like just the the paradoxes that that we have, and and look at President Nelson. Ever since that that he's become the prophet, it's like he's taking a look at all of the things that we do and saying what's necessary, what's tradition, and just kind of rooting out some of those things. We're mm -hmm. moving on, we're, we're doing things better, more efficiently. Uh, sometimes we have to have a pandemic in order to, to change our, our paradigm on stuff. We're doing missionary work much better now out of um, the, the forced quarantines and, and things and mm -hmm. revamping. And sometimes it's, it's really good to, to kind of purge out some of that stuff. And Cameron, a while back, it's been a few years, but um, with our talks in sacrament meeting, it got so a lot of people were doing bringing pictures or charts or implementing songs into their talks and do it. We, we even had a gentleman bring a caged chicken 
as part of his talk. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. But anyway, they come out with a letter on that, and it just, none of that. Just stick right to the talk and forget wow. the, the fluff, you know. <laughs> I wish ours maybe had some of that. <laughs> we never had that. That would have been interesting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. But uh, also with the, oh, like with the Christmas um, program, um, there, there was a lot, you know how women are sometimes they want to add the fluff, you know, and they get, and so they was draping the garland, you know, there on the railing and kind of just decorating it up for the thing that they came out that we're not supposed to do all that stuff. It's just keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember on my mission, there was one ward that, um, it was a, a very heavily Catholic community and they, I walked in one Sunday and they had candles all over. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear. whoa, what happened? I mean, they didn't have crucifixes, but they had candles everywhere. They had never heard that you're, you don't do that, you know. Uh, uh -huh. even just, then that was probably just really, yeah, exactly. you know, special, you know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it, it's just kind of <laughs> alarming because you just don't see that all the time, but um, but the intent is there to, to worship and, and everything, but uh, some of these traditions, if that were to be uh, perpetuated on and stuff, it, it could have led to some, I mean, you'd just revert right back to Catholicism rather than, uh, than what we're doing, you know, like some of that, that extra fluff. I don't even think we're supposed to have trees in the foyer anymore, at Christmas trees, are we? Mm-mm. No, they, they came out against that too. Yeah. Oh, I found that one quote as I'm passing through stuff on page 350 that I was looking for earlier. It said that reaching out in love, unconditional love, is the epitome of keeping God's law and word on every level of the ladder. Um, that, that's just how it works. It's a ministering model. And um, I find that as we're getting closer and closer to the, the second coming, ministering is, is becoming that, you know, I, we're getting closer to um, that, that principle. We're putting away the, the old system, implementing a new, and there's even more advancements coming to it that we're going to start picking up the, the speed here in, in love, unconditional love. Um, what else so we got? Cameron, I, I have a question before we, we close and maybe this, you mentioned at the beginning that we are an awake group. What does it mean to you to be awake? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know that that's come to mean lots of different things to different people you know like <clears throat> you have like the the woke movement in the united states and stuff and anyway no, not that. um, <laughs> um not yeah it's, it's definitely not that <laughs> take that and go the opposite direction so i find um like on page 330 where where that's at um 
that the Zion Jerusalem resembles adolescence because it's the soul's first awakening to an awareness of its power to act independent of others, to take responsibility for its own actions and decisions, and learning largely by trial and error as we begin to experiment with good and evil. So being awake to me means realizing that enduring to the end isn't just about endurance and coasting, that there's actually more to be had, more blessings to access, more responsibilities to um, perform, and uh, more learning to, to happen just besides uh, attending the temple all the time and, and taking it with a grain of salt. That being awake is connecting with God and knowing that it's possible to, to get to his level quicker than, than most people just readily assume kind of thing that that's, that's available in this life, in the flesh that, um, uh, we can actually access powers of heaven that the scriptures are more than just an old history book. They're actually, uh, patterns that we can emulate in this life not just in the eternities I, that's what awake means to me the, about uh, overcoming the, the the coasting retirement mentality mentality of enduring to the end in a nutshell <laughs> like, good answer, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> like i think um When you're awake, you realize that the higher law, there's more to it. Uh, just following the baptism, faith baptism, um, my mind's going crazy. <laughs> faith, repentance, baptism, gift to the Holy Ghost. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And it gets us there, but that's, Still the lower law, the lesser law, I should say, the lesser law. It's, that's there's, called the preparatory gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's more, and that's not going to get us, you know, to it. It will save us, but it's not going to get us exalted. You have to have, do the higher law to get exalted. And I think so many don't realize that. that that's part of it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> even though sometimes it, it creates this weird stigma of of being awake like i mean we share some stuff with my brother here and there or whatever but he always calls us like oh you're awake <laughs> oh my word you're crazy <laughs> and sometimes he'll be like oh is that person woke and i'm like randy quit <laughs> anyway um so let's kind of do a quick uh overview of how we're approaching the, the next few weeks so i'm copying a link and i'll send this out in the email as well um but the isaiah explorer is what we're going to be using to really uh, dive into the the words of isaiah 
And uh, let me screen share. So the Isaiah Explorer is such a great tool for, for studying. Um, what I like to do is look at Isaiah's seven part structure, because that's how we're actually going to be studying it. But you can uh, break it up into to lots of different um, things. If you want to just view it as the three tests, the test of allegiance, idolatry, and persecution. Um, if you want to look at the, the hero's journey, uh, you can do that. But I like to, to look at Isaiah's seven part structure here. So in that leftmost column, uh, choosing which kind of structure you want to look at the, the actual scriptures. And then um, it breaks it down by the section passages here. And then um, I think it's this is what comes up by, by default. So over here in the rightmost column is every individual verse. So as you're scrolling through the chapters here, you'll see that on that right-hand side, it's changing the verse as we're going through the chapter. And so um, as you're reading the, the verses, you're able to compare the different translations side by side. So here's the King James translation versus the NRSV, the, the New International Version, the NSAV, and Hebraeus Press, which is Avraham's translation of uh, Isaiah. So you can uh, kind of see verse by verse what changes, why the, the words are, are chosen the way they are. And then you can actually click and read the commentary by Avraham here on any given verse and, and see what he has to say about the, the backstory of that verse or why that verse is important in the, the structure. Um, you can click through that and, and see lots of different insightful things. Um, that's what I'm, I'm hoping to, to bring a lot of that to our, our book club is some of that commentary. That book is not necessary um, uh, like a required reading, but it is very helpful. It's called Apocalyptic Commentary of the Book of Isaiah. I do have a copy of that that I'm going to be going through and uh, reading along with this, but um, you can get it for free here, just verse by verse as you're clicking through um, on, on the this Isaiah Explorer. Um, some, some very helpful features is a, a chiasm viewer. Um, so anytime that a verse is part of a, a chiasm, uh, you can click down here on, on an X thing and, and view the, the chiasm. So you can view the, uh, the, the fins as well as the, the apex of the chiasm side by side. And uh, anyway, just there's so many features packed in this Isaiah Explorer. It's hard to, to tackle them all, but I, I would hope that um, we would spend time to uh, do this in our off time of, of studying to use the Isaiah Explorer and, and see if it can enhance our, our studies as, um, as we go through it. Um, and how do we access that? Is it something we have to buy or? No, it's, it's free. It's just a website. Yeah, so I, I've copied the link there in the chat. Also, I'll send it out in an email. So I'm going to attach uh, these links and uh, our calendar for the next little while. Um, so I'll, I'll be sending that out here in just a few minutes um, in between classes here. So you'll have all the information and, and can access it. Um, yeah, for this next part, there's no required reading, just your scriptures. Um, 
if you want to get that book, you, you can, um, but everything's on that Isaiah Explorer website and you can just click through it. it uh, there's no cost or anything involved. And a heads up for people, it only works on your computer. It doesn't work on my tablet or my phone. <laughs> so it <laughs> yeah. said not supported. I'm like, oh, that means I got to use a computer, which is not as easy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. With with all of its expansive tagging and everything, yeah, it's, it's definitely a computer thing. There is an app by the Isaiah Institute that it, it doesn't do as good. It has Avraham's commentary and his translation on it, um, but it doesn't have all of the other cool features on, on as the website does. Um, I, I don't believe that the website is actually built by Avraham or, or his team. I think that this is just somebody that that's put together all of that information. Um, but that app is available on uh, both the Apple and Android uh, app stores. It's like $4 or so uh, if you wanted to get that on, on there. Um, any questions as we move forward? Any suggestions or comments, whatever? Um, after we study Isaiah, we'll, we'll really kind of start talking about what we want to do afterwards. Um, before everyone jumped on, uh, we and Janet were, were talking, Triumph of Zion is kind of our, our favorite books. We might do that one. I'm totally open to, to lots of suggestions, different things to consider as we, we move forward. It, it's fun studying with everybody. I, I enjoy it a lot. All of the different insights and, and different ways that we um, contribute to, to each other's learning. Uh, I think it's very powerful. Um, studying Isaiah with everyone has been such a, a huge blessing because um, lots of different uh, suggestions like, oh, you need to go watch this YouTube channel or uh, this book is very handy or, or this or that. It, it just really adds as we all kind of bring all of our heads and knowledge together. Um, it, it's been super fun. Uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I'm excited to actually dive into the, the words of Isaiah and, and start taking all of these thoughts and, and paradigm shifts and trying to actually pull them out of the text. It's going to be, I mean, I, I've sped read through Isaiah a few times, but this is going to be my first like deep dive. Uh, I'm glad I have a lot of other people to lean on with it. <laughs> so the next book that we do will, won't be till September, October, correct? Correct. Yeah. It'll probably be just like right after conference. We'll probably start the new one. I haven't ever made a comment, but appreciate all the work that you've put in. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm glad to see you on here. All right, well, we will see everyone not next week on Sunday because uh, me and my mom have something that we've got to do on Sunday. So next Wednesday, uh, see everyone then. All right, have a great week. Bye. Bye.